The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. I hope everyone is doing great this evening. This is Friday evening, Saturday morning. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people listened to episode 89, where I talked about overcoming adversity. I talked about planning for the unexpected. I discussed my wife and my journey through being thrown into the Rockefeller Medical Industrial Complex when that was not exactly what we wanted to do, but we were educated we were well read we were well researched and so we made it out alive folks and we have a beautiful baby boy my wife was up and about today she's pretty much all healed our son is eating at the boob cafe about every five minutes he loves milk donald's folks he just pulls up to the drive-thru and uh, he feeds and feeds. So uh, that's great. He's healthy. Everything turned out great. My mother and stepfather are in town for Thanksgiving, so they got to meet him today, and that uh, worked out well. My mom got to take some pictures, and I got to see her cry. So that was fantastic. So everything is great, folks. I hope you like that show. A lot of people listened. There's really good advice in there. It's personal. It's raw. It's my journey. It's my wife's journey and we were very happy to share that with you folks and hopefully you walked away with being able to look at your options if you get thrown into this system and you're hopefully going to be able to develop a game plan and then hopefully some of the stuff i shared with you will guide you towards the right solutions folks so thank you very much for that everybody please make sure if you haven't done it already leave us a five-star review at apple Podcasts along with a comment it helps us move up the charts we're growing every day we've been back for a few days since my five-day hiatus and we're back on track the numbers are back to where they were so thank you very much for tuning in if you haven't had a chance please check out pain.tv slash gold you can sign up for a basic subscription or the hot wire the basic gets you access to the ad-free video version of the dust and gold standard and the thomas Payne podcast you also get access to the facebook like app and website where you can communicate and network with like-minded folks that are fans of the thomas Payne podcast and the dust and gold standard so it's a great place to share intelligence folks uh people had reached out to me wanted to know if they could donate to the show send something to our son william so i set up an account at donor box which i've used for campaigns in the past it is donorbox.org slash dust and gold show the link is 
in the description. You can leave a donation if you want there. It just helps us out. Keep the lights on at the studio. I'm buying some new equipment. Puts food on the table uh, while we're growing this show. And it is slowly being monetized on the public side through advertisements. And people are slowly signing up for subscriptions. Uh, Those are two ways that I can monetize the show. I'm pretty transparent about that. I don't try to hide anything from you guys. So if you'd like to leave a donation, feel free to do so. Donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. All right. Now, this isn't really an ad that I'm doing, but I wanted to show you something because it fits right into what we talk about here on this show. I've actually purchased services from this company, and now they just happen to have an affiliate program for people that have used their service. So I figured, what the heck? I set it up, and I'll share this with you. If you purchase something through the link that I provided in the description of this podcast, I make a 20% commission. I guess that's just the standard and how they do it. It's something new they're doing. And I figured I'd mention it to you because this is a company that I personally used, and it fits right into what we talk about over here here at the Dustin Gold Standard. The website is dirtlegal.com, dirtlegal.com. But please, if you're going to do this, use the link I provided in the description because that way I'll get a commission. But this company, let me just tell you about them. Uh, Here in the state of Maryland, so I moved from Tennessee, and then eventually uh, when my divorce was done, I was going to have to register my car in the state of Maryland. Now, I have an older car. It's not all loaded up with the computer system and GPS, and I like it that way. I like to buy older cars in cash, um, and I don't have to worry about necessarily being tracked everywhere. I don't have to bring it in the dealership to get tuned up. And so in the state of Maryland, folks, they make it very, very difficult difficult for you to register an older car. So one of the scams they have is they make you go through both a safety inspection and an emissions inspection. And so my mechanic said to me, you are not going to be able to get your car through the the uh, safety inspection here in the state of Maryland, because they're going to give you a list of probably in the range of four to five to six thousand dollars in things you're going to have to fix on this car and i'm talking about really stupid things not safety related and so i said well what do i do and he said listen i have all of our tow trucks and stuff registered at my father's property in new hampshire i believe it was so i said all right let me poke around and see what i can do because um he said listen we could spin it through safety and bring it back to you but i know they're going to give you a list of about four or five five thousand dollars worth of stuff you're gonna have to fix so i had done a bunch of research this is probably six seven months ago and i went online and i looked this up and i was trying to figure out where i could register the car out of the state of maryland because i was not going to go buy a new car i don't want a car with a computer in it i don't want a car that has all the beeping going on i don't want a vehicle that could be tracked and traced all the time so i did a ton of research like i do with everything else like i did with the midwife and the doula and this home birth situation and i end up running into this company dirt legal and what dirt legal does folks is they'll take your car now they have different services they offer i just have their website up on the screen and it says right here register and title any vehicle with ease not headaches no inspections no dmv visits no hassles we work with all cars uh ohvs and motorcycles in all states so what i did was at first 
when I found them, I realized, oh crap, I got to get my car registered in like two weeks. How the hell am I going to get this done? So Dirt Legal had a temporary license available, a temporary plate available out of, I believe it was the state of Arizona, maybe. And so I don't know what it cost. It was like a few hundred dollars, right? Maybe two or $300. So I got that within a matter of, I don't know, two or three days, my car was registered under an LLC they have set up in Arizona. And so I was off and running for like 90 days. And then I needed to get my car fully registered. And I spent, I don't know what it was, maybe 400 or something for the service and i got my car registered in south dakota and i had to pay a small uh like sales tax because i didn't have the original receipt from when i bought this car uh, eight or nine years ago and it was like a hundred bucks or something but you don't pay property tax to the state of south dakota it's totally legal you're registered outside i did not have to do an inspection i did not have to do an emissions test i did not have to go to south dakota and so now my car is registered in south dakota folks this is just a life hack this is to get around the system so the state of maryland wants to play games and make it almost impossible to register a car and i heard if your car is older than five six seven years old they try to play this game with you to force you to go out and buy a new car so you know what screw you state of maryland i registered my car with dirt legal and it's completely legal so if you guys are interested in this again uh they didn't solicit me i didn't sign up to run ads for these guys they just happened to send an email i noticed yesterday and it said for current customers we've got an affiliate program set up we're offering 20 percent if you sign up any friends or family for any of our services so I said, what the hell? I've got the show. This fits in with my brand. It's a company I bought two services through, the temporary plate and then the full plate. And they've been nothing but professional, super quick turnaround times, completely detailed. These guys don't mess around. You could do everything digitally. You could have them mail you a packet. And so it's a company that I actually believe in. They're a small little group, but it fits in with our brand. It helps people get around the system. And they really promote themselves as being for liberty and screwing the law which i love which i love folks and it's completely legal so if you're interested this is just my own ad i'm not reading any ad script i didn't even tell them i was going to do this they don't know me from uh from uh hole in the wall folks these guys would not know me i'm just someone who bought a service and i love this company so check it out dirtlegal.com but please use the description link Uh, which is below this podcast if you're going to do it. And that way I make a little commission on it, folks. All right, let's jump back into what I wanted to cover before my wife went into labor. I am going to finish the book Birth Without Violence for you. I think I'm going to do that sunday um sunday i may have time to record two shows so i will do birth without violence and then i'll do another show on technocracy and eugenics and that kind of stuff so tonight what i want to do is get into eugenics for you it's something i was itching to do before we had the baby and i want to get back to that before i finish up birth without violence i'm really itching to get back into this good stuff folks so if you remember we were covering an article before the break which was uh from independent.org the independent institute and it was fdr the man the leader the legacy and what happened was I started to do research into 
people that were in power in and around the beginning of FDR's presidential regime, okay? Uh, remember, FDR won, what, four terms? He died at the beginning of his fourth, but he was the first president to really break the unspoken rule or the unwritten rule of the two terms that was supposedly set into place by George Washington and then first carried out and respected by Thomas Jefferson. FDR ran for and won four terms, died at the beginning of the fourth. So we started to see that technocracy uh, being developed going back to 1919 in and around Columbia University via Howard Scott, uh, started to take shape, really became a solid uh, political movement in 1933 with the formation of Technocracy Incorporated. And at the same time, there was a group called the Brain Trust operating out of Columbia University, which was working with, at the time, Governor of New York, FDR, getting ready to help him run on this New Deal platform for his presidential bid, of which he won uh, the presidency in, uh, was in 1934. So we were looking at that. We came across a man named Rexford Tugwell, okay, in this article, which I have up on the screen. This is Rexford Tugwell and Making America Over. And so we started reading about Rexford Guy Tugwell. And Rexford Guy Tugwell was tied into the uh, technocrats. We saw right here, it said, the most prominent of the brain trusters and the man often considered the chief uh, ideologist of the first New Deal, roughly 1933-34, was Rexford Guy Tugwell. Tugwell was a follower of the school of thought known as Institutional Economics, founded by the eccentric writer on economics, Thorstein Veblen. All right, and Thorstein Veblen, we know, helped inspire Howard Scott, right? So Thorstein Veblen is credited with being involved in the beginnings of technocracy. So now we have this guy, Rexford Guy Tugwell, who was one of the most important members of FDR's brain trust who start to put together elements of the New Deal. And we're told by the historians, the people that push the official narrative, that the New Deal helps squash technocracy that technocracy began to fizzle out because the new deal offered solutions to the great depression and then the technocracy movement which was really this collection that grew out of the socialists the communists the marxists eventually fascists the progressives started to fizzle out and we know that's not true i believe that a lot of the technocracy elements were introduced into government via the new deal all right, that was the beginning of the social engineering of the nation into accepting elements of technocracy. And we know that technocracy is the science of social engineering. It's the science of the systematic control of the means of production and the means of the distribution of goods. It is also a system of total control. All right, so we have this guy, Rexford Tugwell, very important. I covered him a bit, I believe, before I went on my hiatus, and we're going to eventually go into depth a bit more on Rexford Tugwell because he ties into some other very important characters, some bankers involved with the Federal Reserve. This is a very, very large web of folks, but tonight we're going to focus on eugenics. So let me show you how Rexford Tugwell 
ties into eugenics. And then we're going to go over a paper I found that's very, very important that goes into the entire history of eugenics tied into economics. And you're going to be able to see how technocracy and eugenics overlapped. And as we move forward into modern time, you're going to see that eugenics is just rebranded as transhumanism, folks. This is all very interesting stuff. If you want to understand where we are today and where we're going in the future, you need to understand where this stuff came from and realize that this has been in the works for roughly 100 years in this country. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back. To pain.tv slash gold, you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's get back into this stuff. All right, so in this article that we're looking at here at independent.org, so we know that Rexford Tugwell, inspired by Thorstein Veblen, very instrumental in the technocracy movement, inspired Howard Scott, the head of Technocracy Incorporated, the head of the Technical Alliance, the head of the Committee on Technocracy. And so it says right here in this article, America, with its tens of millions of people, had to be made over because its market economy was thoroughly obsolete, headed for the scrap heap of history. The traditional incentives, hope of money-making, and fear of money loss will be weakened, and a kind of civil service loyalty and fervor will need to grow gradually into acceptance. Echoing socialist critics from the early 19th century on, Rexford Guy Tugwell scorned the free market as anarchical. And uncoordinated muddle of hopelessly conflicting aims and purposes it would have to be replaced by national planning or technocracy another shibboleth of the day implying rule by the technical experts like himself okay so it it gets in deeper into tugwell's ties to technocracy uh the people he was working with were tied into technocracy i know that for sure i've done enough research on it and eventually we'll start to pick everything apart i'll show you every little piece of evidence out there but just trust me this guy rexford tugwell was tied in to technocracy so then we had gone through this article briefly, ageofutopia.info. Again, this is a very good article. It was written in February 2020, and this is called From New Deal to World Constitution, Rexford G. Tugwell. All right, and so we go down inside of this article. And what we find in here, I read this to you, Tugwell was influenced by many of the classical progressive thinkers, one of whom was Edward Bellamy, author of the utopian novel Looking Backward, 2000 to 1887, and cousin of socialist Francis Bellamy, who wrote The Pledge of Allegiance. Now, Edward Bellamy also had inspired people like Howard Scott. Okay, so Edward Bellamy is actually instrumental in the origins of the technocracy movement. 
and we'll eventually break him down on this show as well. Goes on to say another beacon of the progressive era, Frederick Winslow Taylor, left an imprint on Mr. Tugwell. Taylor, after whom the hyper-efficient philosophy of Taylorism is named, believed firmly that in this industrial era, humans must be made to work as if they themselves were machines. And so you could tie that into the whole idea behind the energy certificates that we reviewed here at the Dust and Gold Standard coming out of Technocracy Incorporated. They looked at humans as nothing more than engines, as nothing more than machines. Remember, we covered that entire section of the study guide on technocracy where they talked about the human engine and basically deemed us to be inefficient right inefficient and essentially useless and said that we really use very little energy in the whole scheme of things and that the machines were really much more efficient than we were and for all the food and all the oxygen we took in the energy we consumed we only put out 10 percent of that consumption into the workforce right so we were very 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 inefficient in their eyes so what is only natural in the uh step that these guys would take the next logical conclusion on this uh, would be that they need to start to breed the useless out of society and that's exactly what these folks started to work towards which is exactly what we're seeing with transhumanism it's always about the fact that humans are inefficient humans are not streamlined right so they're going to try to perfect humans and turn humans into whatever this vision this image that they have in their mind that's how sick these people are and that's why keep telling you that this will lead towards the engineering of humanity out of existence just think about it in simple terms folks with vitamin k that i discussed yesterday vitamin k starts to develop in the gut of your child after five or six days god obviously made it that way there's a reason the creator made it that way but no they don't think that's good enough so they want to inject your child with vitamin k the minute they come out of mommy right so nothing is perfect for these guys everything can be perfected by the so-called science goes on to say to taylor bellamy and tugwell scientific management of society was one of the highest ideals humankind could strive for see that's scientific management of society right was one of the highest ideals humankind could strive for important as all of these philosophical influences might have been tugwell was after all an economist in this regard his two biggest influences seem to have been scott nearing and simon Patton. okay these are two very important people let me just repeat that important as all of these philosophical influences might have been tugwell was after all an economist in this regard his two biggest influences seem to have been scott nearing and simon Patton. both of these men advocated for an entirely new centrally and scientifically planned economy focusing primarily on the efficient functioning of the social machine rather than on the individual running parallel to this philosophy was the fact that both men as was so with many progressives of the day were committed you genesis now let me just make this very clear to you because there's some key pieces in what i just read and this is why i like this article so much it says here both of these men advocated for an entirely new centrally and scientifically planned economy so centrally planned economy right that's big government 
planned from the center. They wanted to monopolize, they wanted to centralize control of the entire economy, and they want to plan it scientifically, right? Scientifically. And so then you hear them say, functioning on the social machine rather than on the individual. Well, as we know, under the tenets of technocracy, the individual does not matter. Howard Scott is very clear about that, that we would have to give up freedom, liberty, individualism in order to live under a system where they're going to promise you the bare minimum of goods but enough to survive and you can purchase those using your allotment of energy certificates right so they want to plan the economy plan the government centrally and they want to do this scientifically now here's the key piece technocracy is the social engineering of the society right and it's the science of social engineering and then it is complete and total control and systematic control of the production and the distribution of goods well if they believe that they need to scientifically plan the economy and control it centrally, you know, from, say, Washington, D.C., overlooking the entire United States, the system that we basically have today, this is why I say we're already under technocracy. The culture of technocracy is already here. People have accepted it, right? So technocracy is to control the entire uh, social being of this nation. Well, what's next? It's to control the human scientifically because they look at the system as not being perfect they also look at the human as not being perfect and that is centralized control of the human as well we will control the human scientifically so all of a sudden you run into now this idea of eugenics which we're about to get into and it says that a lot of the progressives of the day were into eugenics now i've told you a little bit about progressivism and if you look at progressivism through the eyes of one of the most famous progressives, uh, Saul Alinsky, famous progressive community organizer. The thing about Saul Alinsky, what he believed was that if you could keep setting people into motion to try to fight for the next thing, all right? So think about what we lived through over the last, let's say, seven years, really since the beginning of Donald Trump running for president. You look at the woke culture, right? Not an accident, okay? Not an accident. So you look at the Me Too movement. You look at BLM. You look at Antifa. You look at the cancel culture. Well, eventually in the cancel culture, you had diehard, devout liberals in Hollywood, in comedy, in entertainment, they were then being destroyed by the cancel culture. It got to the point where progressivism began to eat itself alive. And that was one of the things that Alinsky wanted. He wanted to bring hell on earth. And so he had this uh, sort of story that he would tell, that you take a community organizer and you have him organize a neighborhood over fixing the sidewalks. But when they get the sidewalks fixed, you have to look at that as climbing a mountain on a hike and you get to the first plateau and then you fix the sidewalks, the smoke, the fog clears from that plateau and then there's another plateau.
And so you set them on another mission. And then the smoke clears, the fog clears, another plateau, another plateau. So progressivism never ends. There's no end goal in sight. Eventually, it eats itself alive. Soon, I'm going to show these videos of Alinsky in action, training other community organizers, and you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about, the way that he thinks. Well, this is progressivism. There's no end goal. They progress to the point in which they actually destroy everything. They eat themselves alive. So you will have progress lead you down a path in which everything in the natural world will be controlled, right? They claim to be fighting against, let's say, something horrible like slavery on a plantation. But before you know it, their progress leads everyone into slavery and everything we live within this physical world becomes a plantation, much like the World Economic Forum Fourth Industrial Revolution. You move down this path so far that you go in a circle and end up coming back to right where you started from. And it's even worse than what you started from because instead of slavery on a little plantation, it becomes slavery in the world and the whole world becomes the plantation. That's progressivism. So if you take progressivism, this progressive mindset, and apply it to people, that if people are not efficient, people are not streamlined, individualism does not matter, then what will happen is you will continue to try to engineer perfection, right, under this idea of progressivism, you will try to engineer perfection to the point in which you will engineer humanity out of existence. That's why I bring that up all the time. It's very, very important to understand this. And so this idea of eugenics, which did not start in the United States in the late 1800s, but that is where it took off here in the United States. This idea of eugenics goes way back. We're going to get into that briefly before I get into the paper, just so you have a solid understanding but in the late 1800s eugenics came back and these progressives adopted it and it was rising at the same time that the ideas of a managed economy a centralized economy a a centrally controlled government this idea of technocracy was rising and so the socialists the communists the marxists the progressives and eventually the fascists joined forces here right under the idea of technocracy and under the idea of eugenics now the historians will tell you the same historians that tell you mk ultra ended in 1964 the same historians that tell you the new deal killed technocracy the historians will tell you that eugenics took a hit because adolf hitler was doing eugenics with his supreme being programs right and so eugenics took a hit and fizzled out when it did not mk ultra continued into the psychedelic programs we're looking at today uh technocracy continued through the new deal and eugenics ended up transforming into transhumanism and that's what we're going to get into tonight i'm going to show you that it's all alive and well folks these programs never ended they just rebranded and they've gotten worse because now these madmen these crazy frankenstein doctors have access to the technology the gene splicing uh the dna manipulation all of this stuff that they didn't have access to before well now they do and they're moving at warp speed to bring this stuff into our reality ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv 
Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, let's just hop over here to Wikipedia quick and just take a look at the history of eugenics. This is fairly accurate. So I'm going to go through here just to give you a quick understanding for those of you who don't really uh, know what eugenics is. I'm sure you've all heard about it, but let's do this because we're going to go deep into a research paper I found from 2005 that goes into the history of eugenics going back to the late 1800s. But I want you to understand this beforehand. It says eugenics from ancient Greek, you meaning good or well, and uh, genic meaning genes come into being, growing. Okay, so this is good genes is a fringe set of beliefs and practices that aim to improve the genetic quality of a human population. Now, look right there. It says it's a fringe set of beliefs. Well, we can look today at the rise in in vitro, all these designer babies basically pick your embryo, have the bad parts of the genes cut out and good parts of the genes inserted. Now, we've talked about that here in depth on the Dust and Gold Standard with the company Orchid Biosciences, whose CEO stems out of Peter Thiel, uh, the billionaire owner of Palantir, funded by the CIA through InQtel Money, their venture capital firm. And one of the biggest investors in Orchid Biosciences is the woman who is the head of 23andMe, whose husband is Sergey Brin from Google. So 23andMe collects all this DNA, and now all of a sudden, Orchid Biosciences has access to good DNA that they can splice into other DNA to replace bad DNA. I mean, this is eugenic so is it fringe no it's pretty damn trendy right now folks the whole synthetic womb movement the transhumanist movement elon musk with the Neuralink brain chip our military doing these experiments we covered that through dr charles morgan the third dr james giordano dr diane deulius dr peter emmanuel with the cyborg soldier 2050 program so they sit here and say it's a fringe set of beliefs it's not fringe at all i mean it may be distasteful and unethical to people like you and me but at the end of the day it's not fringe the most powerful people in the world are behind this i mean what do you call all of this life extension stuff that peter thiel's working on with his company ambrosia where they inject inject young people's blood into old people and they're working on immortality and life extension and everything else it all ties in to eugenics into good genes right 
So first they want to repair their bad genes, but eventually they'd like to beam their mind that they're going to upload into the cloud via the brain chip. All real stuff, folks. If you don't believe me, go back to episode one and listen to the very beginning of the Dust and Gold Standard. And they want to beam those down into new biological bodies or non-biological Iron Man suits. Literally swarms of nanobots like bees come together and form an Iron Man suit. Well, if they beam them into a new biological body, what do you think that's going to be it's going to be some superhuman body some superhuman baby or something they build in a synthetic room and they're going to upload their mind their physical body will die but then they'll beam their mind down into these babies these are high level people people like peter thiel giant government contractor people like elon musk like ray kurzweil the chief uh, engineer at google people like dennis bushnell the chief scientist at nasa now these are mainstream folks All right, it goes on to say, historically, eugenicists have attempted to alter human gene pools by excluding people in groups judged to be inferior, promoting those judged to be superior. In recent years, the term has seen a revival in bioethical discussions on the usage of new technologies such as CRISPR and genetic screening, with a heated debate on whether these technologies should be called eugenics or not, right? So there you go, CRISPR-Cas9, genetic screening. That's like the in vitro stuff we're talking about with the embryos. So they call it a fringe set of beliefs when it's not fringe at all because the world governments are behind the funding of CRISPR. The world governments are behind the genetic screening. So there's a debate on whether or not it should be called eugenics. Yeah, because the people in charge of it don't want it tied to the term eugenics. They want it called something else like designer babies or CRISPR. Goes on to say the concept predates the term. Plato suggested applying the principles of selective breeding to humans around 400 BC. Early advocates of eugenics in the 19th century regarded it as a way of improving groups of people. In contemporary usage, the term eugenics is closely associated with scientific racism. And we're going to get into that. Modern bioethicists who advocate new eugenics characterize it as a way of enhancing individual traits regardless of group membership right so instead of now breeding humans like dogs they are now just going to go in and modify all humans to the vision to the likeness that the frankenstein doctor deems to be perfection but don't worry this is just enhancing of individual traits don't worry folks that's all it is just enhancing of individual traits goes on while eugenic principles have been practiced as early as ancient greece the contemporary history of eugenics began in the late 19th century when a popular eugenics movement emerged in the united kingdom and then spread to many countries including the united states canada australia and most european countries countries and we're going to get into that in this period people uh, from across the political spectrum espouse eugenic ideas consequently many countries adopted eugenic policies intended to improve the quality of their population's genetic stock such programs included both positive measures such as encouraging individuals deemed particularly fit to reproduce and negative measures such as marriage prohibitions and forced sterilization of people deemed unfit for reproduction 
Those deemed unfit to reproduce often included people with mental or physical disabilities, people who scored in the low ranges on different IQ tests, criminals and deviants, and members of disfavored minority groups. Now, the thing is, folks, a lot of people don't realize that this was going on in the history of our country. All right. You didn't really learn this in school. I don't remember learning it in school. All right. I'm 41 years old. So I went to kindergarten in what, 1986, graduated in 1999 from high school. I don't remember learning about this, but this was going on in our beloved country, folks. It was mainstream sterilization and eugenics. Now, you could sit there and listen to this show, and I'm always willing to have a very nuanced discussion on all of these topics. And you could say to me, because I don't like to look at this through politics. I like to look at this stuff through how I'm going to avoid it. You know, I, I don't believe it's ethical, but I don't think we're going to win any sort of ethical battle against this. But you could sit there and say to me, well, this is a good thing, right? So our country should only breed really smart people, and we should put an end to everyone else. Here's the issue with that line of thinking. It's like people that tell you, who cares if the government is spying on my internet search who cares if the government is spying on my phone calls who cares if the government has drones flying over my backyard who cares if the government has facial recognition software everywhere who cares if the government pulls people over and harasses them for no good reason who cares if the government comes in and searches my house without a warrant because i'm not doing anything wrong okay you're not doing anything wrong in the eyes of whoever you deem to be in charge of the government at that time so if you were someone who liked president trump and he was searching people's homes illegally you might say well i don't care i'm not doing anything wrong i have my maga hat on if you're someone on the left who loved barack obama you'd be saying the same thing if obama was searching people's homes you'd say well i don't care i have nothing to hide all right so look at it in the case of eugenics you may be sitting at home you're a guy who goes to the gym you work out all the time you think you're big you think you're strong you think everyone should be like you and we happen to have i don't know president arnold schwarzenegger and you say well he's a fit guy he understands where i'm coming from he wants to push eugenics so that's fine because i'm going to be allowed to breed and the little pipsqueak next door they're going to drag him out of his house and kill him okay that's all fine and dandy until a little pipsqueak like a dr anthony fauci becomes the president and decides his idea of the fit are people like him a little pipsqueak that he believes is genius and all the muscle heads all the strong guys they're nothing they're just slaves we don't need them anymore because we replace them with robots and so they decide to kill you you see how that works folks so once you allow this type of practice to be put into place you're a target when you no longer fit whoever is in charge of that policy so you think it's all fine and dandy you're a white guy who says so what breed the blacks out breed the hispanics out breed the asians out until there's an asian or a black gentleman or a hispanic in charge who says breed whitey out and now you're screwed you see how this 
this works. So you cheer something like this on and you end up in a situation where now you become the target. So you need to start thinking in terms of humanity and not in terms of just yourself and your identity. Because once you allow this stuff to be rolled out, it is unstoppable. All right, it goes on to say the eugenics movement became associated with Nazi Germany and the Holocaust when the defense of many of the defendants at the Nuremberg trials of 1945 to 1946 attempted to justify their human rights abuses by claiming there was little difference between Nazi eugenics programs and the U.S. eugenics programs. They were correct, by the way. In the decades following World War Two, with more emphasis on human rights, many countries began to abandon eugenics policies. Although some Western countries, United States, Canada, and Sweden among them, continued to carry out forced sterilizations. So, just like I showed you that the United States brought over 1,500 Nazi doctors and madmen scientists here to the United States after World War II under Operation Paperclip. We used some of them to train CIA chemist Cindy Gottlieb, who was in charge of the MK Ultra mind control torture experiments, a guy who was allowed to kill people, a guy who was allowed to lie and get people doped up on LSD, psychedelic mushrooms and such. Right now, we wanted to claim we somehow had the moral high ground when we were doing exactly what our so-called enemy was doing. Well, look at this. They uh, tell these guys, well, you were trying to run a superhuman program. Meanwhile, here in the United States, we're running cyborg soldier. We're literally strapping biotic arms onto men, uh, putting uh, eagle eyes uh, in place of their regular eyes, doing all types of Nazi Frankenstein experiments, everything connected to eugenics. But why should we be surprised when our country has been involved with this stuff uh, since the beginning of time, really, folks? So the question really you have to ask yourself is, do you agree with this? Do you agree with transhumanism? If you sit here and you are repulsed by this idea of Elon Musk drilling out the back of your child's skull and putting a brain chip in there, you have to be disgusted with this entire system. And so we have to call out for all of this stuff to end. I mean, you can sit here and have a conversation all day long about where you draw the ethical line. It's something that I think about. But it's very difficult to have that discussion and win the argument because as soon as you give these people an inch... They take a mile, folks. You know that to be true. So if they're going to go to the extreme of DNA splicing and putting brain chips inside of people and beaming up their consciousness to the cloud and creating children using CRISPR-Cas9 and growing them in synthetic wombs, you have to take the most opposite stance on that, the most extreme opposite, which is none of this at all. It all has to end. So you need to be able to debate this stuff with your friends and family. At the very least, you need to be aware of the fact that this stuff is here. It is here, it's alive and well, and you have to raise your kids and grandkids to stay away from it, to not fall trapped to this stuff. Because if you allow the state to genetically modify them or hook them up to a brain chip, they will be a slave to the state forever and who knows they may think they're going to have their individual traits enhanced when in fact the state already deemed them to be unfit to live and the state just kills them all right ladies and gentlemen i'm going to kill myself for 30 seconds i'm going to a short commercial break my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv 
Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the break. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. And this is the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, let's jump right back into this. It says since the 1980s and 1990s, with new assisted reproductive technology procedures available, such as gestational uh, surrogacy available since 1985, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis available since 1989, and cytoplasmic transfer first performed in 1996, concern has grown about the possible revival of a more potent form of eugenics after decades of promoting human rights. Now, as you can see, what did the article start off saying, folks? That this uh, idea was a fringe set of beliefs, eugenics. Well, it's not so fringe. It's not so fringe, and it did not die after World War II and end up in the grave with Adolf Hitler because in the 80s and 90s, we were already beginning to mainstream uh, eugenic technologies, folks, already. So it never ended, and we can prove that as well. goes on to say, a criticism of eugenics policies is that regardless of whether negative or positive pol- uh, policies are used, they are susceptible to abuse because the genetic selection criteria are determined by whichever group has political power at the time. There you go. That's 100% true. You can't argue with that. Furthermore, many criticize negative eugenics in particular as a violation of basic human rights seen since 1968's proclamation of Tehran as including the right to reproduce. Another criticism is that eugenics policies eventually lead to a loss of genetic diversity, thereby resulting in inbreeding depression due to a loss of genetic variation. Yeah, everyone will run around uh, as inbred little uh, hillbillies. It'll be fantastic, folks. It'll be like the royal family everywhere. Yet another criticism of contemporary eugenics policies is that they propose to permanently and artificially disrupt millions of years of human evolution, and that attempting to create genetic lines clean of disorders can have far-reaching ancillary downstream effects in the genetic ecology, including negative effects on immunity and on species resilience. See, this is what happens. This is what happens when madmen want to play God. And I've showed you here uh, on this program, Dennis Bushnell, chief scientist at NASA in 2018, speaking at the FIRE Future in Review Conference. And he said, we've entered this era of the human evolution of humans. Elon Musk also talks about this. Peter Thiel has mentioned it. And so these guys want to play God. They want to grab hold of the evolution of humanity. And they believe that they can change the very course of humanity. And look what 
there are critics are saying is that you could end up with issues with immunity uh species resilience starts to create all types of problems when humans want to play god all right so on the wikipedia article if you want to go through this just to get a basic idea you can go through the history Uh, i'm going to do a little of that shortly and then it goes into eugenics in the united states let me read this uh part uh to you first uh where is it these laws were part of a broader policy of racial segregation in the united states to minimize contact between people of different ethnicities race laws and practices in the united states were explicitly used as models by the nazi regime when it developed the nuremberg laws stripping jewish citizens of their citizenship all right so this goes into history eugenics in the united states it goes into nazism and the decline of eugenics which is not true that's basically just part of the official narrative they rebranded it in modern times as transhumanism it gets into modern eugenics uh, meanings and types controversy over scientific and moral legitimacy Uh, a lot of different stuff on this wikipedia page so if you're really interested in just getting a basic understanding of eugenics i would suggest flipping through this now i'm going to go a little bit through the origin and the development of eugenics here on the history and then we're going to get into this paper which i have up on the screen for the video audience of pain.tv slash gold this is journal of economic perspectives Volume 19, number 4, fall of 2005, pages 207 to 224, Retrospectives, Eugenics and Economics in the Progressive Era, by Thomas C. Leonard, because this ties in the gentlemen that were friends with uh, or inspired Rexford Tugwell, Scott Nearing, and Simon Patton both of which were highly influential inside the eugenics movement at the same time the technocracy was growing. But it says here, types of eugenic practices have existed for millennia. Some indigenous people of Brazil are known to have practiced infanticide against children born with physical abnormalities abnormalities since pre-colonial times in ancient greece the philosopher plato suggested selective mating to produce a guardian class in sparta every spartan child was inspected by the council of elders the garuja which determined if the child was fit to live or not the geographer strabo states that the uh, semenites would take 10 virgin women and 10 young men who were considered to be the best representation of their sex and mate them. Following this, the best women would be given to the best male, then the second best woman to the second best male. It is possible that the best men and women were chosen based on athletic capabilities. This would continue until all 20 people had been assigned to one another. If the people involved dishonor themselves, they would have been removed and forcibly separated from their partner. See, the same madmen throughout history uh, are the same madmen that are alive today. It's always the madmen that rise to the top. I've said this before on the show. People that want power will rise into positions of power. 
people that respect individualism and do not want power amongst uh, over others will not rise to positions of power and this is why you always have some crazy lady running the homeowners association who goes around the neighborhood knocking on your door telling you that you can't have your flowers planted within three inches of the curb because there are psychos out there who love to have power these are the kens and the karens and the types like that they were alive all throughout history people say well why can't we win why can't we control because the people that are good-natured people that don't want power over other people don't run for political office and don't seek out positions of power all right ceos are people that want positions of power they tend to be corrupt and scumbags right well some guy who works in the company that just likes doing his job he might make a good ceo but he doesn't want that job because he doesn't want power over other people see it's the same whack jobs who rise to these positions imagine your job walking down a line and picking out 20 young men and 20 young women and then matching them up and forcing them to have sex and breed with each other i mean that's real you can see that's what they're doing today when they have a scientist who takes out a tray and allows you to pick through the embryo that you want and he tells you which one has certain traits what's the difference folks there's no difference goes on to say in the early years of the roman republic a roman father was obliged by law to immediately kill his child if they were dreadfully deformed according to tacitus a roman of the imperial period the germanic tribes of his day killed any member of their community they deemed cowardly unwarlike or stained with uh, abominable vices usually by drowning them in swamps modern historians however see tacitus ethnographic writing as unreliable in such details i've read some of that though it's questionable nobody really knows if it's true it goes on to say the idea of a modern project for improving the human population through selective breeding was originally developed by francis galton and was initially inspired by darwinism and its theory of natural selection galton had read his half cousin charles darwin's theory of evolution which sought to explain the development of plant and animal species and desired to apply it to humans based on his biological studies galton believed that desirable human qualities were hereditary traits although darwin strongly disagreed with this elaboration of his theory in 1883 one year after darwin's death galton gave his research a name eugenics okay that came from 1883 with the introduction of genetics eugenics became associated with genetic determinism the belief that human character is entirely or in the majority caused by genes unaffected by education or living conditions many of the early geneticists were not darwinians and evolution theory was not needed for eugenic policies based on genetic determinism throughout its recent history eugenics has remained controversial now think about this folks so this quack francis galton Okay, I'm looking at a picture of him. He's got a bald head with big mutton chops. This guy probably should have been weeded out of the gene pool. All right, he probably should have started with himself, drowned himself in a swamp somewhere, because he obviously is some sort of a weird swamp creature. 
But think about it. This guy deems himself God. And so instead of allowing natural selection to take place, he is going to be the one who controls natural selection. So it wouldn't be called natural selection. It would be called Galton selection. And he gets to walk around and pick and choose which humans get to live. This is the mentality of these people. It's like Elon Musk saying, if you don't put a brain chip in your head, you're going to go extinct. I mean, think about the nerve of these people to believe that they get to play God. Now, the only thing uh, in which uh, they're right on is natural selection is if we, the people, don't rise up against the people like them. And they choose us to go to the Auschwitz concentration camp and load us into the gas chamber. And we just stand there with our head in the sand as they push us into the cattle car and we go there and allow ourselves to be cooked because we didn't stand up to fight back then maybe we deserved it because we didn't say anything about it and that's why people like bill gates jeff bezos mark zuckerberg elon musk peter thiel and the rest of this creepy gang laugh at us folks because they push us around under the live action role play of covid land the high school theater production and we just let them do it they poke us in our chest they tell us to get in line stay six feet away get behind the plexiglass put on your mask get your jab get your booster and we gladly do it no questions asked we just line up and do what these people tell us they laugh at us folks and this is what's going on. You're looking at the history here. Literally walking down a line and picking out boys and girls and deciding who's going to make. Where's the parents? Where are the people standing up against this? That these people walk around with their king's crowns on and their robes and they decide who lives or dies these are humans they bleed as well folks and they know this and this is why they want to control everything because they know at some point we mere mortal humans might actually grow some balls and rise up against them i'll be right back this is dust gold with the dust gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. And you are listening pain.tv slash gold join us over there folks do it sign up for a membership and help put food on the table keeps the lights on here at the studio for just a few dollars a month folks i think it's eight dollars and change you get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast as well as the thomas Payne podcast the mothership of this operation folks All right, let's continue here. It says eugenics became an academic discipline at many colleges and universities and received funding from many sources, including the government, by the way. The state is always behind all this fun stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Fun stuff, as Dr. Charles Morgan III told the West Point cadets back in 2018 when he was bragging about all this Frankenstein technology. He said, isn't this fun stuff? All right, it goes on to say organizations were formed to win public support and sway opinion 
towards responsible eugenic values in parenthood, including the British Eugenics Education Society of 1907 and the American Eugenics Society of 1921. Both sought support from leading clergymen and modified their message to meet religious ideals. In 1909, the Anglican clergyman William Inge and James Pelly both wrote for the Eugenics Education Society. Inge was an invited speaker at the 1921 International Eugenics Conference, which was also endorsed by Roman Catholic Archbishop of New York, Patrick Joseph Hayes. They got everyone in on this, folks, even the, the Christians, the Catholics, they're all on board. Goes on to say the book, The Passing of the Great Race, or the Racial Biases of European History, by American eugenicist, lawyer, and amateur anthropologist Madison Grant, was published in 1916. Although influential, the book was largely ignored when it first appeared. It went through several revisions and editions. Nevertheless, the book was used by people who advocated restricted immigration as justification for what became known as scientific racism. And we're going to get into that as well. And I'm not saying all of these things are necessarily wrong, all right? I'm obviously against grabbing 20 little boys and 20 little girls and forcing them to have sex so that you can breed uh, your supreme race or whatever it is. We'll get into it as we go through that term paper, that research paper. We're then going to start to talk a little bit about the immigration policies that were put into place because just because you're against one part of something doesn't mean you have to be against all of it. So we're going to really break it down. It goes on to say, three international eugenics conferences presented a global venue for eugenicists with meetings in 1912 in London and in 1921 and 1932 in New York City. Eugenic policies in the United States were first implemented in the early 1900s. It also took root in France, Germany, and Great Britain. Later, in the 1920s and 1930s, the eugenic policy of sterilizing certain mental patients was implemented in other countries, including Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Japan, and Sweden. Uh, Frederick Osborne's 1937 journal article, Development of a Eugenic Philosophy, framed it as a social philosophy, a philosophy with implications for social order social order very similar to the science of social engineering this system of total control called technocracy all right so you have to say wow back in the late 1800s early 1900s going through the 1920s and 30s eugenics was spreading all across the world similar to how today COVID land the high school theater production the vaccine all that stuff it spread so quickly so these crazy what seemed to be crazy anti-human ideas spread so rapidly even back then it just seems to magically appear i don't know maybe there was a world government back then as well folks it goes on to say that definition is not universally accepted osborne advocated for higher rates of sexual reproduction among people with desired traits they call that positive eugenics eugenics or reduce rates of sexual reproduction or sterilization of people with less desired or underdesired traits that would be negative eugenics and sterilization you know what that is folks they make sure you can't have kids 
goes on to say, in addition to being practiced in a number of countries, eugenics was internationally organized through the International Federation of Eugenics Organizations, and we'll eventually be looking into that, folks. goes on to say, its scientific aspects were carried on through research bodies such as the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute of Anthropology, Human Heredity, and Eugenics, the Cold Spring Harbor Carnegie Institution for Experiment mental evolution and the eugenics record office you see this was big this was not fringe this whole wikipedia thing starts out it was a fringe movement what everyone in the high levels of society were involved with this thing are you kidding me it goes on politically the movement advocated measures such as sterilization laws in its moral dimension eugenics rejected the doctrine that all human beings are born equal and redefine moral worth purely in terms of genetic fitness. Its racist elements included pursuit of a pure Nordic race or Aryan genetic pool and the eventual elimination of unfit races. Many leading British politicians subscribed to the theories of eugenics. Winston Churchill supported the British Eugenics Society and was an honorary vice president for the organization. Churchill believed that eugenics could solve race deterioration and reduce crime and poverty. Well, first off, folks, if they wanted to do this in places uh, like England and such, they could just shut the borders down and only have British people there. United States, a little more difficult to do because we had opened our borders from the very beginning to increase our numbers and grow our population here. You know, in the beginning of this country, it was generally various uh, groups of Europeans that were fighting with each other. But eventually now we have Hispanic, we have asian we have indian we have all these different races here but as you can see these guys were very powerful you had someone like winston churchill involved so was winston churchill part of a fringe group it wasn't fringe if people like winston churchill were part of it early critics of philosophy of eugenics included the american sociologist lester frank ward the english writer jk chesterton the german-american anthropologist franz boas who argued that and advocates of eugenics greatly overestimate the influence of biology and Scottish tuberculosis pioneer and author Halliday Sutherland Ward's 1913 article eugenics euthenics and eudemics Chesterton's uh, 1917 book eugenics and other evils and boas 1916 article eugenics published in the scientific monthly were all harshly critical of the rapidly growing movement sutherland identified eugenesis as major obstacle to the eradication and cure of tuberculosis in his 1917 address consumption its cause and cure and criticism of eugenesis and neo-malthusians in his 1921 birth control led to a writ for libel from the eugenesis mary Stopes. Several biologists were also antagonistic to the eugenics movement, including Lancelot Hogben. Other biologists, such as J.B.S. Haldane and R.A. Fisher, expressed skepticism in the belief that sterilization of defectives would lead to the disappearance of undesirable genetic traits. Okay, so at least there were some people speaking out against this, folks. 
It goes on to say, among institutions, the Catholic Church was an opponent of state-enforced sterilizations, but accepted isolating people with hereditary diseases so as not to let them reproduce. All right? So... They didn't necessarily want to force these sterilizations, but they were totally fine with isolating people so that they could not reproduce. It goes on to say, attempts by the Eugenics Education Society to persuade the British government to legalize voluntary sterilization were opposed by Catholics and by the Labour Party. The American Eugenics Society initially gained some Catholic supporters, but Catholic support declined following the 1930 Papal and cyclical caste canubi in this pope puis the 11th explicitly condemns sterilization laws public magistrates have no direct power over the bodies of their subjects therefore where no crime has taken place and there is no cause present for grave punishment they can never directly harm or tamper with the integrity of the body either for the reasons of eugenics or for any other reason well that's good the catholic church spoke out on that folks so that would be a good thing we'd give the catholic church a round of applause on that one it goes on to say as a social movement movement eugenics reached its greatest popularity in the early decades of the 20th century when it was practiced around the world and promoted by governments institutions and influential individuals such as the playwright gb shaw many countries enacted various eugenic policies including genetic screenings birth control promoting differential birth rates marriage restrictions segregation both racial segregation and sequestering the mentally ill compulsory sterilization forced abortions or forced pregnancies ultimately culminating in genocide by 2014 gene selection rather than people selection was made possible through advances in genome editing leading to what is sometimes called new eugenics also known as neo-eugenics consumer eugenics or liberal eugenics which focuses on individual freedom and allegedly pull away from racism sexism uh heterosexism or a focus on intelligence so you see what they did folks is they eventually just rebranded eugenics and now they have these idiots lining up to get designer babies from companies like orchid biosciences uh with peter theo money behind it with 23 and me money behind it the wife of sergey brin the head of google and so now they have people literally doing this to themselves it's like going on twitter and you don't write what you really feel because you know you'll be censored and lose your account so now you sell self-censor so now they've literally socially engineered people into self-censoring their own horrible traits and so they're literally saying well i have a big nose i don't want my kid to have a big nose let's carve that out in the dna profile so you literally have people going into the mad scientists the frankenstein doctors as they turn this thing into a fad right this is the social engineering of society so social engineering works to bring in technocracy complete and total control by the scientists and engineers it also brings in this idea of eugenics or as they branded now transhumanism right because they're going to make you perfect when they merge you with machine and you know where this ends up folks it's a running theme here at the dust and gold standard this ends with the genocide of humanity but it won't be genocide folks it'll be the engineering of humanity out of existence because none of us are perfect to them no matter your race no matter your color no matter your creed 
your religion, your sexual orientation, your gender. It doesn't matter. Humans were deemed imperfect back in 1933 by Technocracy Incorporated. We did not put enough work back into the system for the amount of energy that we were taking out of it in the form of food and oxygen. So we were marked the enemy almost 100 years ago, and the eugenicists were hard at work already trying to breed us out of existence now we've just advanced that with the technology like crispr gene editing dna splicing and this transhumanism push ladies and gentlemen absorb that while i go to a short break my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, and this is pain.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into this paper here. Remember, and now that you have just the layman's understanding of the history of eugenics, nothing new, been around for quite a long time, many powerful folks involved with it, it was spread far and wide, really started to grow in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and so we got to go back now to Rexford Tugwell, The gentleman who was very instrumental and powerful on FDR's brain trust, who helped bring the New Deal into practice. The New Deal, I believe, was to begin ushering in elements of technocracy, beginning to socially engineer people into the idea of technocratic control. Right. The New Deal brings in the Social Security number. Social Security number idea comes from the Technocracy Incorporated documents where they had to assign a number to every man, woman and child for the purpose of them receiving their energy credit allotment. Right. And then you have also in the New Deal, just Social Security in general. That's the idea of the government taking your money, investing it for you to create a retirement fund for you. All right. That's the beginning of turning over the control of your money that you produce with your labor or the goods or services that you sell. All right. These are elements of technocracy. So they started to slide in with the New Deal. So as we're looking at Rexford, uh, Rexford Tugwell, inspired by Thorstein Veblen, who inspired Howard Scott, we see that he was also inspired by, up on the screen here, I have that ageofutopia.info article, Scott Nearing and Simon Patton. So I went and did a bunch of research on this. Eventually, I'll work it in the show. It's not super important right now. But yes, Tugwell was inspired by Nearing and Simon Patton, Scott Nearing and Simon Patton. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this paper that I found here from 2005, Retrospectives, Eugenics and Economics in the Progressive Era by Thomas C. Leonard. And I'm going to go through most of this over the next couple of episodes because it's frankly very, very important. It starts off saying this feature addresses the historic, I'm sorry, the history of economic terms and ideas. The hope is to deepen the workaday dialogue of economists while perhaps also casting new light on ongoing questions. 
And then if you have suggestions on this, you can contact blah, 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 blah at the Journal of Economic Perspectives. But this is very detailed. I read the whole thing about two weeks ago, and I said, all right, let me cover this because this is really going to give you a solid understanding of what was going on uh, back in this time. Introduction. American economics transformed itself during the progressive era. In the three to four decades after 1890, American economics became an expert policy, science, and academic economists played a leading role in bringing about a vastly more expansive state role in the American economy. All right. So right there, talking about... Um, in the three to four decades after 1890, all right, so you'll take 1890, bring that up to say 1930, American economics became an expert policy science, and academic economists played a leading role in bringing about a vastly more expansive state role in the American economy. And I argue that is when they started to bring the elements of technocracy into play. A lot of this stuff being cooked up in Columbia University. And we're going to eventually get deeper into that but you had ibm uh working out of there you had the technocratic movement working out of there you had fdr's brain trust working out of there so a lot of stuff going on in and around columbia university goes on to say by world war one the united states government amended the constitution to institute a personal income tax created the federal reserve we went over that folks um I think in the episode where I talked to you about how this is not the constitutional republic you think you're living in. It is not the same system. So it says here, by World War I, U.S. government amended the Constitution to institute a personal income tax, created the Federal Reserve, applied antitrust laws, restricted immigration, and began regulation of food and drug safety. State governments, where the reform impulse was stronger still, regulated working conditions, banned child labor, instituted mother's pensions, capped working hours, and set minimum wages. Now, I'm just going to point this out. We can sit here and debate and argue back and forth on every one of these issues. I'm not necessarily taking a stance on any of these. I'm just trying to make you aware of these things. But let's just add that to the list of stuff we covered in that past episode of this isn't the country that you're living in anymore. So when people are fighting for the United States or restoring America, restoring the Republic, I just don't know. I don't understand what you're restoring if you don't even understand the history history of our country we've changed so many things from what was the founding that we aren't actually in the same system any longer and that just adds to it folks so you could be for minimum wage laws or you could be for mother's pensions it doesn't matter i'm just saying that stuff didn't exist in the founding of the country so if you want to restore the republic are we restoring it back to 1776 1780 1801 uh, january of 1811 i don't know I don't know. So you have to stop talking like that because it doesn't actually make any sense. So if you're going to make an argument to restore the republic, we have to know exactly what it is you're talking about. It goes on to say, less well known is that a crude eugenic sorting of groups into deserving and undeserving classes crucially informed the labor and immigration reform that is the hallmark of the progressive era. 
reform-minded economists of the progressive era defended exclusionary labor and immigration legislation on grounds that the labor force should be rid of unfit workers whom they labeled parasites, the unemployable, low-wage races, and the industrial residue. Removing the unfit when the argument would uplift superior deserving workers. Okay, so removing the unfit when the argument would uplift superior deserving workers. So this eugenics policy growing out of the progressive era was about creating a what? A more efficient worker. Well, does that not tie right into the ideas of technocracy that were bubbling at the same time. And as you see, many of these economists and authors and writers and philosophers and scientists and engineers that are for eugenics also were the same people for technocracy. This is why I call it technocratic transhumanism because it goes hand in hand. It is technocracy and eugenics. One is re-engineering society as a whole, the social engineering of society, the total control system uh, that engineers the means of production and the distribution of goods and gives these elitists, these overlords, total control of that system, as well as then engineering humanity itself. See, it's pretty clear when you go back into history and you start to dissect this stuff, it makes total sense. You actually see where this grew out of that these people were looking to engineer a better slave class. That's what they're talking about here. So technocracy deemed us unfit, inefficient. And so they started to say, how can we breed better workers? Now, part of what technocracy was promoting was the rise of the machine, where the machine would replace some of the muscle heads they needed to run the machines. So they were going to start to engineer the muscle heads out of existence and start to actually try to produce high IQ people. They thought people that would be the scientists and the engineers that could actually run this total control system. See, it's a sickness, folks. It's a sickness. These people are mentally ill. If they wanted to weed out the unfit, they would weed themselves out of existence. All right, it goes on to say, eugenics describes a movement to improve human heredity by the social control of human breeding, based on the assumption that differences in human intelligence character and temperament are largely due to differences in heredity. Francis Galton, who we just discussed, statistical innovator and half-cousin of Charles Darwin, is regarded as the founder of modern eugenics. Eugenics' first object, said Galton, is to check the birth rate of the unfit instead of allowing them to come into being. The second object is the improvement of the race by furthering the productivity of the fit by early marriages and the healthful rearing of children. All right. See that one more time. One more time, folks. This is from Galton, the half cousin of Charles Darwin. Eugenics, quote, first object, end quote, said Galton quote is to check the birth rate of the unfit instead of allowing them to come into being all right stop them from breeding 
The second object is the improvement of the race by furthering the productivity of the fit by early marriages and the healthful rearing of children, end quote. So see, again, these are men trying to play God here. It goes on, in the United States especially, progressive-era eugenics tended to be racist. But, quote, race, end quote, had connotations in the progressive era different than those of today. And eugenicists of that time were both imprecise and inconsistent in their use of the term. Sometimes the term refers to all of humankind, the human race. Sometimes race was used in something like its modern sense. But more commonly, the progressive era usage of race meant ethnicity or nationality, especially when distinguishing among Europeans so that the English or those of Anglo-Saxon ethnicity were presumed to be a race distinct from, say, the Irish race or the Italian race. The most influential racial taxonomy of the day, The Races of Europe, was written by William Z. Ripley in 1899, an economist trained at MIT and Columbia, who spent a long career at Harvard studying railroad economics and served in 1933 as president of the American Economic Association. So there's this guy, William Ripley, right? And so he writes The Races of Europe. It goes on to say, race did not exhaust the variants of human hierarchy embraced by American eugenicists, whose catalog of unfit persons often included women and the lower classes. Eugenicists were also gravely concerned with those they regarded as deficient in intellect, for example, epileptics, the mentally ill, and the feeble-minded, and those they regarded as deficient in character, quote, the criminals, and the incorrigibly uh, idle, the morally deficient, and those incapable of producing their maintenance at any application whatsoever, end quote. All right, and so there's a lot of uh, references in this book, a lot of footnotes, I'm sorry, in this paper, a lot of footnotes. This is highly sourced. I actually started going through some of the source material, and this stuff is just mind-blowing, folks. I mean, I knew about eugenics. I studied a little bit of it over the years, and when I started to get into this, again, because it ties into technocracy and i was really looking for the history of transhumanism and i went all the way back into that history and then saw that it tied into eugenics i said we've really got to cover this because if you guys want to understand what this transhumanist push is all about where it came from it's right out of all of this original stuff it's like technocracy we look at what the world economic forum the un everybody's doing today it comes right out of the original technocracy documents going back to 1919 so learn your history and then you'll have a clear understanding of what the present looks like and why we're here and then you'll be able to predict where we're going in the future and the future does not look so pretty ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the break. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks. Just remember, if you like this program, please leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts and a comment. It really does help us, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate that. Join us over at pain.tv slash gold. Hit us up on Twitter at Hackable Animal or at Dustin Gold Show. And check us out on Telegram at Dustin Gold Show. You can get to all those links in the description of this podcast where you can also send a donation to help support the program while we're growing over at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. And you can also register your car out of your state if they're a pain in the ass, just like the state of Maryland here, with Dirt Legal. Description uh, contains the link there, folks. If you purchase a service through them, I make a little commission, so it helps keep the lights on over here. That's all. That's all. All right. This goes on to say, during the progressive era, eugenic approaches to social and economic reform were popular, respectable, and widespread. This essay documents the influence of eugenic ideas upon American economic reform, especially in the areas of immigration and labor reform, and tries to illuminate something of its causes and consequences. Though our focus is upon economics, eugenics appealed no less, and arguably more, to scholars and the other emerging, emerging sciences of society, especially sociology and psychology. A fuller treatment is available in Leonard, 2003, upon which this essay draws. So there is a deeper uh, paper that I did not go through yet, but this covers the basics. And so this is why I want to continue going through this with you folks. I think it's very important. By the time we're done with this, you're going to have a clear understanding of the history of eugenics. And then we're going to tie that in with all the overlaps to the guys that were behind technocracy. And then there are some bankers that we're going to bring into this. There's a particular banker who was in and around Howard Scott helping promote him, who was instrumental in the creation of the Federal Reserve Bank. So you have the rise of the Federal Reserve Bank, technocracy, and transhumanism all happening together. Why? Because, as usual, the bankers are behind most everything, folks. Most everything you can find a banker behind it. So Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, and Wide Awake Jim, they've been doing research alongside of the stuff that I'm doing here, and we're going to be working all this in. If you haven't had a chance to check out episode 88 and episode 80 featuring Wide Awake Jim, all about the climate hustle and how that leads into central bank digital currency, which is really just the rebranded term for the energy certificates created by Technocracy Inc. going back to the early 1920s into the early 1930s. It all ties in together, folks. And so we're starting to see the same bankers behind what Jim is researching and I'm researching and Maria Albanese is jumping in and kind of filling in the blanks. So eventually, and hopefully soon, she promised me she's going to be able to come on. We're going to start to fill in some of the stuff I missed in certain shows, and she's going to bring in a lot of her research, which is invaluable information. All right, it says immigration and race suicide. It was a scholarly fashion, circa 
1890 to declare the U.S. frontier closed and to sound a Malthusian alarm about excess American population growth. But the professional economists who wrote on immigration increasingly emphasized not the quantity of immigrants, but their quality. Quote, if we could leave out of account the question of race and eugenics, end quote, Irving Fisher said in his presidential address to the Eugenics Research Association, quote, I should, as an economist, be inclined to the view that unrestricted immigration is economically advantageous to the country as a whole, uh, end quote. But caution Fisher, quote, the core of the problem of immigration is, one of race and eugenics, end quote. The problem of the Anglo-Saxon racial stock being overwhelmed by racially inferior, quote, defectives, delinquents, and dependents, end quote. See how these people talked uh, right out in the open about this kind of stuff? It reminds you of, I don't know, like Yuval Noah Harari and the things that he says, you're a hackable animal, you're a useless human, we will just give you video games and drugs until we eliminate you. Yeah, it's the same type of stuff, folks. These are the guys that rise to power, that want to run the world. And I think, to be honest with you, I have friends who identify as liberal, friends who identify on the left but if they knew that this stuff was coming out of the progressive movement the same as it was coming out of the fascist movement by adolf hitler i don't think that these people would be for this i have some friends that are not totally crazy they just identify on the left they're actually very conservative traditionally on a number of issues and so if you could start to explain this stuff to your friends the history of what was actually going on in this country and don't make it about the right or the left say that the elites the uh social engineering class these power hungry criminals the same ones in charge today were doing this stuff back then you might to get get people to open their eyes uh to the brain chip and to the designer babies and stuff that's going on today because this is the origin of this this is where it comes from folks It goes on to say, fear and dislike of immigrants certainly were not new in the progressive era, but leading professional economists were among the first to provide scientific respectability for immigration restriction on racial grounds. They justified race-based immigration restriction as a remedy for, quote, race suicide, end quote, a progressive era term for the process by which racially superior stock, they would call them natives, is outbred by a more prolific but racially inferior stock immigrants so if you've ever seen gangs of new york with the butcher the butcher played by daniel day lewis actually one of my favorite characters he was uh but the federation of american natives fan and so he was standing up against the new irish immigrants so this stuff goes way back folks it goes way back goes on to say the term quote race suicide end quote is often attributed to edward a ross who believed that the quote higher race quietly and unmurmuringly eliminates itself rather than endure individually the bitter competition it has failed to ward off by collective action end quote 
Ross was no outlier. He was a founding member of the American Economic Association, a pioneering sociologist and a leading public intellectual who boasted that his books sold in the hundreds of thousands. Ross's coinage gained enough currency to be used by Theodore Roosevelt, who called race suicide the, quote, greatest problem of civilization, end quote, and regularly returned to the theme of, quote, the elimination instead of the survival of the fittest, end quote. All right. The elimination instead of the survival of the fittest. So they believe the immigrants would come in and end up eliminating the fittest. I'll comment on this in one second. Let me finish the paragraph. It says, in that same year, more than 40 years after the American Civil War, Ross wrote, quote, the theory that races are virtually equal in capacity leads to such monumental follies as lining the valleys of the South with the bones of half a million picked whites in order to improve the conditions of four million unpicked blacks, end quote. All right, now listen. If their issue was, let's say in the case of the United States, keeping it a European country, they could have done a Donald Trump and just built a wall, okay, and stopped immigration, told the boats to stop coming here or turn them around. But you're going to see that's not what this is all about, because this idea of keeping immigrants out, which they could have just done, they could have ran it as an immigration policy, not as a eugenic policy, ends up growing into the idea of eugenics and breeding and sterilization and everything else. I haven't totally figured it all out yet, but they're mixing in, and and this was true back in history, they're mixing in this uh, controlled immigration, which is a policy that should be totally available to any country, any sovereign nation to turn away immigrants versus this idea of actually breeding and sterilizing and actually hardcore eugenics. But you'll see this is what it's getting into, but I want to set this up for you so you understand how these guys thought and how their thoughts evolved into what we're seeing now. It says Ross's theory was that the Native Anglo-Saxon stock was biologically well adapted to rural traditional life, but less well suited to the new urban milieu of industrial capitalism. In his view, the racially inferior immigrant races, quote, Latin Slavs, Asiatics and Hebrews, end quote, were better adapted to the conditions of industrial capitalism and thus would outbreed the superior Anglo-Saxon race. The race suicide proposition that persons of inferior stock outbreed their biological betters turns Darwinism on its head, since Darwinism defines fitness as relative reproductive success. Progressive era eugenics, in contrast, argued that fitness comprised attributes such as race that could be judged independently of reproductive success. Indeed, race suicide theory was predicated on what Darwinism denies, what eugenicists call the elimination of the fit, the elimination of the fit, right? But what they're talking about is themselves, the elites, elimination of the elites. Now, what they don't really addressed back then was the idea that this industrial boom, the industrial era, the creation of all the machines were creating the majority of our problems. So what they do is they decide, just like with technocracy, 
And just like with transhumanism today, that instead of addressing the real problem, which is the rise of the machine, they start saying they're going to use the machine and use engineering and use science to fix a problem caused by them. A problem caused by them. Problem, reaction, solution. And to fix that problem, they're going to use technocracy and they're going to use eugenics, more machines and more science to manage a problem that they caused, which was the uh, elimination of the fit. Well, it was caused by the rise of the machines. It goes on to say, by 1912, Simon Patton, okay, remember him? This is friend of Rexford Tugwell. Simon Patton, the reformist Wharton School economist who served as AEA president in 1908 could say, quote, the cry of race suicide has replaced the old fear of overpopulation, end quote. In explaining why those of inferior stock were more prolific, early progressive era economists emphasized how economic life under industrial capitalism was increasingly dysgenic. That is, it tended to promote the survival of the unfit. Patton, for example, argued that, quote, every improvement increases the amount of the deficiencies which the laboring classes may possess without their being thereby overcome in the struggle for substance that the survival of the ignorant brings upon society, end quote. So what is their solution uh, to this today, folks, to creating artificial intelligence and robotics that will replace what were once the workers, but now will be the unfit because we have nowhere to put them that is universal basic income and that will eventually be genocide and so they were talking about this back then folks they were already starting to see the problem that they created this idea of industrial capitalism and so now it would allow the uh, survival of the unfit as these people were being replaced in this new economy folks when i get back let's read a little more let's clarify this for you because we're going to work into some really dark stuff really dark stuff folks i mean really sick disgusting stuff that these people were talking about in the late 1800s early 1900s and it's no different today all right i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to Pain.tv slash gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, let's jump right back into this. I mean, this stuff is very, very important. It says, in response, we're talking about Simon Patton. So in response, Simon Patton ultimately argued for the state taking over the task of selecting the fittest, eugenics. So this would be the state. As I've told you before, there is no deep state. There is only the state. And so Simon Patton wanted the state to take over the task of selecting the fittest, all right, eugenics, those they would allow to live. It says, quote, social progress is a higher law than equality, end quote. 
Patton volunteered, social progress is a higher law than equality. So see, these guys did not believe in equal rights. They didn't believe in human rights. They didn't believe that all men are created equal. No, they believed that social progress, the whole of the social mechanism, the uh, science of social engineering, as the technocrats would put it, that this social progress was a higher law than equality. Patton volunteered, and the only way to progress was the, quote, eradication of the vicious and inefficient, end quote. Frank Fetter, who was to serve as president of the AEA in 1912, also worried that, quote, the benefits of social progress are being neutralized by race uh, degeneration, end quote, owing to the, quote, suspension of the selective process, end quote. All right, so you see what these guys are talking about here? Now, ask your friends who lined up to get the vaccine promoted by people like uh, Bill Gates, funded by people like Bill Gates. Bill Gates would have been one of these people back then. He openly talks about overpopulation. He has said that if the vaccines work, we could lower the population by 10 to 15%. We proved that on this show. We showed that to you on this show in context. So all the fact-checking out there on that quote is a lie. But someone like Bill Gates would have been involved with this. You take Donald Trump, who people on the left called Adolf Hitler for four straight years, from 2015 when he was running all the way through uh, 2020 when COVID land, the high school theater production kicked off. They called him Adolf Hitler. And then when he said, here's my beautiful vaccine, my beautiful vaccine, line up for it. It's so beautiful, wonderful. It's tried and true. It's tested. It's so great. So great. People lined up. The people that hated Trump and called him Hitler lined up to take a shot from Hitler. How do you know that our government wasn't running a eugenics program to weed out the unfit and jabbing people with a death shot. I mean, if people on the left, friends of yours that aren't horrible people, they're just people, they get sucked into the WWE wrestling as many of you have, I have, others have, they're just involved with that WWE wrestling. But if they knew about the true history of our country and what was going on here a hundred years ago, maybe they would have thought twice about getting the shot. That's why I didn't get it. I didn't get it for that stupid bumper sticker slogan that it was an experimental vaccine. It was an experimental drug, experimental gene therapy. No, I didn't get it because I thought the government was going to try to kill me. All right, I don't trust the government. When you read about the history, the true history of our country, what our government has done with Operation Paperclip and MKUltra and eugenics and technocracy, you learn about all this. You listen to what our military is doing today through the words of the Frankenstein doctors running under military budgets. You listen to the people like Peter Thiel funding Singularity, the merger of man and machine. This guy's a huge government contractor. You should not trust your government. You cannot sit here and tell me you don't trust them on one thing, but you trust them on another thing. So if you have a serial murderer like Jeffrey Dahmer living in your neighborhood and you know that he lures men to his home and he drugs them and then he chops them up and eats them, 
But then he comes to your house with a bowl of chicken soup and tells you that he loves you and he knows you have a cold and he wants to help cure you with this bowl of chicken soup. You say, oh, he's a nice guy and you eat the bowl of chicken soup. You don't for one second stop yourself and say, I wonder if there's poison in this chicken soup. I wonder if he's going to drug me and then chop me up. I wonder if there's humans inside of this chicken soup. That that is not chicken. That is someone's uh, calf muscle. I mean, come on, folks. How do you trust the government on some stuff and you don't on the other stuff? Once they prove to be liars and they prove to be corrupt and they prove to be criminals and they're doing insider trading when you'll go to jail if you do it, you're then going to take that bowl of chicken soup from them? No, 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 no. And I think if people understood the true history of our country, they would maybe not line up so quickly for these things and stop perpetrating this nonsense about this untested uh, vaccine, that it's experimental. No, it's it's not good. All right, who cares? I don't care if they tested it. You're going to believe the tests from the government? You're going to believe the results from the government? Folks, every study I had to read with things that my wife and I were going to go through were mainly approved by the CDC. Automatically, I put an X next to it. Of course, I read it because I needed it as a baseline to compare it to other stuff I was looking at. But I wasn't going to read it. It says, CDC says, stick a LSD needle into your eyeball and shoot it into your head. And it's going to make you smart. Uh, okay. Are you serious? I mean, folks, come on now. So if you still have friends and family that are not totally lost, try to start explaining some of this stuff to them. I've been working on some family members just as test cases. Going, did you know uh, our country did this? What? They did this? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. But you have to do it in a way that you're not coming at them in a combative style. If they don't want to learn anything, don't waste your time with them. But if they are open, feel free to introduce them to this material. Goes on to say, Henry Farnham, who co-founded the American Association for Labor Legislation, AALL, an influential reform organization led by academic economists and later served as the AEA president in 1911, emphasized aid to the poor as a cause of dysgenic selection. Quote, we are, quote, Farnham proposed, Quote, by means of our very improvements, setting forces in operation which tend to multiply the unfit, end quote. The increase in the unfit, Farnham concluded, quote, renders more and more imperative the solution of that exceedingly difficult problem which Mr. Arnold White calls sterilization of the unfit, end quote. Ross Patton, Fetter, and Farnham all saw higher living standards and progressive era reforms less as a victory for social justice than as an impediment to Darwinian weeding out. Their response was not to argue against reform, as might a social Darwinist, but to advocate for eugenics, the substitution of state selection for natural selection of the fittest. You see this? You see what we just covered here? So what this guy was saying, Farnham, all right, who co-founded this AALL, this influential reform organization led by academic economists, 
All right. And then he later served as the AEA president, emphasized aid to the poor as a cause of dysgenic selection. And then he goes on to say, uh, our very improvement setting forces in operation which tend to multiply the unfit, right? So, so basically what he's saying is that giving them, uh, let's say in the case of welfare, we're allowing them to continue on and continue to be unfit. But the solution to the problem is not to stop the welfare. The solution is to advocate for eugenics. Now, you have to dive deep into progressivism and try to see if they, at some point, the movement that led up to this, were actually the ones who were fighting for welfare and all of these handouts. Because if that is the case, and I have not begun to dig on this yet, but if that's the case, then they were setting up the problem to then offer the solution so they make life easy for the so-called unfit then the unfit multiply and now the solution is to basically kill them all to weed them out of society once and for all the final solution eugenics all right it goes on to say francis amasa walker offered a race suicide account that proved especially influential in the immigration debate walker was a decorated civil war hero served as president of mit from 1881 to 1897 directed the u.s census in 1870 and in 1880, served as the AEA's first president from 1886 to 1892, and was the most respected American economist at the beginning of the Progressive Era. Walker's race-suicide theory argued that immigration limited the natural fertility of the native population, by which he meant earlier European immigrants of Anglo-Saxon ethnicity, so that inferior foreign-born stock effectively displaced superior native stock. Quote, the native element failed to maintain its previous rate of increase, end quote, says Walker, quote, because the foreigners came in such swarms, end quote. Now, you'd also have to see who was pushing for open border policies at that time. All right, so they could have just advocated for closing down the borders and having stricter immigration policy, but somehow they push into the idea of eugenics, sterilization, breeding, and basically uh, genociding people. It goes on to say, Walker proposed that Native Americans would not compete with immigrants from the low-wage races. The American shrank the industrial competition thrust upon him. Walker argued, quote, he was unwilling himself to engage with the lowest kind of day labor with these new elements of the population. He was even more unwilling to bring sons and daughters into the world to enter that competition, end quote. So see, same kind of thing you're running into today. They bring in mass immigration that undercuts the American worker, and now the American worker basically gives up. That's what they're talking about. But again, their solution is uh, eugenics. Uh, and then look at what's going on today. Just put this into context with today. You have Elon Musk and company building supreme artificial intelligence that will be superior to humans, right? And then they say this is going to create a problem. It's a dangerment to humans. So instead of stopping it, they then say the answer is to merge with the machine, to get the brain chip, to upload your consciousness to the cloud, to be able to beam 
the uh, internet down into your head. We will make you smarter. We will make you be able to compete with the machine, but no, not actually compete with the machine, merge with the machine. See, they set up the problem, mass immigration. They set up the problem, handing out welfare to the poor. Then their solution is not to end those policies. The solution is to offer eugenics. And Elon Musk and them are doing the same today. They have the problem of the machines and the artificial intelligence, but their solution is not to call for a ban on machines and artificial intelligence. The solution is for you to merge with machine. You see how this eugenics movement totally and completely parallels with the transhumanist movement, folks. When we get back tomorrow, I'm going to finish this document. It's very important, ladies and gentlemen. You have to understand this. You have to know the true history of our country. And then everything will fall into place for you. If you're just listening to this show for the first time, this is the type of stuff we cover here at the Dustin Gold Standard. We're on episode 90 now, folks. We've been doing this for 90 episodes. I show you the truth so that you can figure out how much of this you're willing to live with, how you're going to live one foot in the matrix, one foot out of the matrix, how you're going to raise your children and grandchildren to just say no to the technocracy and just say no to the trans transhumanist ladies and gentlemen i hope you're enjoying this we are going to dive deep tomorrow i want you to have a full understanding of where this craziness came from ladies and gentlemen where i came from today was upstairs hanging out with my wife and my child and that is where i am going right now it's time for bed ladies and gentlemen have a great night have a great day i will see you tomorrow this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold.